Well, again, we've made it. 2022. 2022. Another year has passed. New year has begun. Do you ever feel like you're getting, um, like as if the years are getting shorter, but the days are getting longer? <laughs> I, I certainly feel uh, that way as I get older. Um, so let me ask you a question. How are you doing? How are you doing? What words would best describe your feelings at the start of this new year? Joy? Peace? Hope? We speak of all those things around Christmas time, and I do pray that each of them would be true for you today. But maybe you feel that another set of words would be more apt to describe how you're feeling at the onset of 2022. Anxiety. Fatigue. Disquiet. To some degree or another, I must confess, I feel each of these myself. And there's a lot of reasons we might feel this way. Uh, We've got a global pandemic still Going on, we've got polarizing politics, family dysfunction, personal losses, job pressures, over-busy schedules. And even if I lump all those together and, and if we label them as sort of unpleasantries to avoid or pains to put out of mind, what about the other things? What about the other things that maybe cause some of those reactions in us? Maybe the good things. What things like cleaning the house? What about putting food on the table? How about paying the bills? Caring for your, your children? Maybe your aging parents? What about offering hospitality to others? What about serving at church? What are you to do when your God-given responsibilities or opportunities to serve others create anxiety and fatigue in you? What do you do when the good work of your hands creates a terrible disquiet in your heart? Sometimes that often spills out of your mouth as well. Here's the question. Do you stop cleaning the house? Do you stop caring for your family? Do you throw down the towel or throw up your hands and quit? Uh, Or do you just kind of drown it all out with entertainment or food and drink? Do you cast your anxieties onto those around you in an attempt to lighten your own load? Your life is busy, it's demanding. You might be pulled in a hundred different directions by many good things, I should add. But deep down, you feel restless, a disquiet in your soul. And your heart lacks the peace that your mind says you ought to have in Christ. So you lash out at others around you and your life feels out of control. If you've ever been guilty of any of these feelings or reactions, 
you're in good company this morning, both with me, because I've, I've done and felt the same, and with Martha from our text today. But even if this doesn't directly describe you in this moment, I want to encourage you that God has a word for you too. Even if you're not feeling the anxiety, the disquiet, um, God still has a word for you today from this text. Um, Open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. I'm going to be starting in verses, just a small passage, 38 through 42. The sermon today is, choose the very best. And this is the big idea in a sentence. The very best choice you can make in the hustle and bustle of life is to sit down with and listen to Jesus. The very best choice you can make in the hustle and bustle of life is to just sit down with and listen to Jesus. Let's read our passage from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is God's word. The passage is short, but it is profound. And there's three parts to this sermon we're going to break down. And I, I think this will be a, a short-ish sermon that also hopefully has a clear enough point. But here are the three parts. Where we go wrong how it affects us and others, and why we need Jesus and his teaching. Those are the three parts. So the first is where we go wrong, distracted from Jesus. In verse 38, we read that as Jesus entered an unnamed village, which may be Bethany, if we're harmonizing some of the gospel accounts here, a woman by the name of Martha welcomed him into her house. Unless we skim past this detail, it's important to see that um, Earlier in the chapter, in chapter 10, uh, the 72 uh, were sent out, 72 of Jesus' disciples were sent out by him on a mission to proclaim the message of God's coming kingdom to every town and place where he was himself about to go. The disciples are instructed to bless those who opened their homes to them and to pronounce judgment on those who did not receive them. And then God's kingdom, either way, is said to be near, regardless of a household's uh, receiving the disciples or not. Um, God's kingdom brings blessing to those who um, are receptive and judgment to those who are not receptive. We see that in uh, just earlier. You might even have to turn just one page, right? So 
It says, whenever you enter town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Whether you want it or not, it's here. That's the message. So when Martha welcomes Jesus into her home, she is demonstrating her receptivity to God's kingdom. It's near, and she's, she's welcoming it. She wants to be a part of it. In fact, she's not just welcoming God's kingdom. She's welcoming God's king himself. While, that's, while this is not the main point of the text, it is still significant that Jesus enters the household not of a prominent man, but of a woman. The kingdom of God is not merely for the powerful and impressive, in other words. The kingdom of God, the king himself, has come near to the unimpressive and the underprivileged, we might say. Martha welcomes Jesus into her home. So far, so good. Verse 39 tells us that Martha has a sister named Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Again, this is a radically countercultural point for Jesus' day, that a woman could place herself in the position of a learner, even a disciple of Jesus. But pay close attention to the language of the text. I want to draw your attention to two things. That would be Mary's posture, and then secondly, her action. First, it says, Mary sat at the Lord's feet, at Jesus' feet. No big deal, right? Mary sat at Jesus' feet. We, we, read, we just skim right over that. But stop, slow down, and consider the posture of Mary. The stillness. The lowliness. The humility. She was placing herself, as it were, underneath his tutelage, under his instruction, his authority. And there in this posture of humility, of receptivity, Mary listened to Jesus' teaching. That's her action. And her action of listening, might, that might be perceived as inaction, but it seems that she's not merely hearing Jesus, but paying close attention to what she was hearing. Now, hearing and listening can often mean very different things, as most wives and husbands can attest. It's not enough to hear the sound waves emanating from your spouse's vocal cords, right? I hear you, but you're not listening to me, right? You must actively process that signal. I'm talking to you, men. Um, you must actively process the signal that's coming into your ears, receive the message, and respond intelligently. Yes, dear, and uh-huh, and whatever you say, do not seem to cut it. For some of us, listening is hard work. So Mary's posture is one of stillness and humility. And she is attentive to Jesus' words. She's not just hearing it. She's listening to Jesus. Well, now, what's Martha up to? What's Martha doing? Verse 40. Look with me. But Martha was distracted with much serving. 
Martha was distracted with much serving. The word here translated as distracted means to be pulled away from one thing to another. We kind of understand that intuitively, don't we? A distracted driver is one whose attention is drawn away from the road and his or her surroundings to something else, a phone most likely, maybe a radio in the, in the past, I guess, um, the kids in the back seat for some of us. And this is, of course, very dangerous if you're on the road, especially in conditions where it's snowy or icy or, or otherwise. But perhaps more relevant to the context of this passage, you understand what it's like to be distracted when company is coming over. You ever feel that way? We just came off the holidays. You guys entertaining people, Thanksgiving, Christmas dinner, Christmas Eve. There are floors and bathrooms to clean. There's things to put away. We got to take the trash out. And, oh, I forgot to start the timer on the pie, and now it's burned to a crisp, and it's all lava inside, and it's going to melt our faces off if we eat it. Oh, it's just it's hard as a rock and lava on the inside. Oh, man, it's ruined, right? I got distracted. I got pulled away from pie. This is a hypothetical situation, by the way. Um, As Martha's playing hostess to Jesus, she's distracted by all of the preparations involved in this offering of hospitality, by much serving. And this is just a a freebie, but the the word serving comes from uh, the same Greek word that we get, like the word deacon, right, or deaconess, um, service, um, we would say even ministry, right? Uh, Martha is doing something that is not bad inherently. She's doing good. But it's, it's much. It is much serving, and that's important. I'll come back. Many have commented that Martha may have been preparing quite a, a lavish meal or feast, um, this is commendable, right? Uh, this is good. Who wouldn't want to serve Jesus their very best casserole? If Jesus is coming over to dinner at your house, if he's coming over for lunch after service, you would, you'd want to throw something together nice, wouldn't you? And Martha does too. So where does Martha go wrong? Where do we go wrong? Where do you go wrong? Is she wrong to be serving? Is her offering of hospitality to Jesus unnecessary or unwelcome? It's not likely. Remember, we we looked at uh, those verses from uh, chapter 10. It seems like, uh, just earlier, it seems like hospitality is even expected to be offered for Jesus' disciples and therefore reasonable to conclude that Jesus would accept and commend hospitality to himself, right? Right? See, the issue is not what Martha is distracted by, but who Martha is distracted from. Back up to verse 39. Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching, and just keep like roll right through that period. Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listened to his teaching, but Martha was distracted with much serving. That word, but, the contrastive word, shows us that Martha was distracted from Jesus. From Jesus and his teaching. Mary sat with and listened to Jesus. Martha was distracted with much serving. Now, it's entirely possible to get caught up, so caught up with serving 
Jesus that you failed to listen to him. Consider the irony that Jesus is himself the bread of life and the living water, the one through whom all things live and move and have their being, and Martha is so consumed with serving him that she misses out on all that he has to offer her. We do exactly the same, don't we? Whether we're distracted from Jesus by serving him through ministry here in the church or fulfilling any one of our God-given responsibilities at home or maybe on the job, the real problem lies not in that which distracts here the service, the preparations, but the inattentive state of our own hearts. That's That's really the problem, isn't it, when it comes down to it? And this is the drift of all human hearts. Because of the the fall, because of sin, and the, the continual effects of it on our hearts, we are propelled toward distraction from Jesus. And we, we talked about this in our high school, Sunday school class recently, and I, I want to um, just affirm this again. Uh, not only are there other forces, right, like our own flesh that's pushing us toward distraction from Jesus, but folks, don't be caught unaware that Satan is actively drawing you away from Christ. He is seeking those whom he may devour. I think we can go about our, our lives oftentimes without this reality in our minds that there is a spiritual war for your soul. There's a tug of war happening for your soul. Now, ultimately, we know Christ is on the other end of that rope. We know who's going to win. But it doesn't beset the fact that Satan wants to take you. And he will try his hardest to devour your faith and your soul and your life. Don't be caught unaware by that. There's so many things that can distract us from Jesus, but Satan is using all of them, I guarantee you. Satan wants to use those things to distract you from Jesus. Even those who are believers, right? He is the accuser of the brethren, after all. He's, he's slandering even those who have been bought and redeemed by the blood of Christ. He's still trying to slander you. He still wants to, to throw more junk on your list of, of sins and grievances before the Lord. So this is an uphill battle, not being distracted from Jesus. It's the fight of faith. But, but for God's grace, we would all stand little chance. But for God's grace. And when you become distracted from Jesus, from his word, the impact is greatly felt. And that's the second uh, half of the verse, and it's the second point in our sermon. How it affects us and others. Casting all your anxiety on others? Let's see what happens here. Pay close attention to Martha's words. The second half of verse 40. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Martha's words are rude. They're abrupt. She interrupts him. He's teaching. She goes up to him. And says these words. So they're rude, 
They're provocative, right? Do you not care? Now, did, is she really questioning? Does she really believe Jesus doesn't care? Or is she leveraging this, right? Provoking him. Of course, I care, so let, I'll take care of this problem for you. I think that's what's happening here. So she's being provocative. She's being rude. She's being provocative. Sensationalized or dramatic. We don't know anything about this, do we? Um, my sister has abandoned me, the, the Greek word. She's, she's abandoned. She's deserted me. You ever, you ever spoken like that? Oh, you've abandoned me. I'm all alone here. Like you're in a wilderness or something, like you're miles from anyone else, from any help. It's not true often, right? But we sensationalize the account. Oh, I've, I've been abandoned. Sensationalized, provocative, rude, and demanding. Tell her to help me. Now, that interaction is really relatable, isn't it? We often speak like this out of anxiety. You ab- abruptly assert yourself. You make provocative claims about how no one notices you or cares about you and, and uh, sensationalized by these claims that you've been abandoned or you're carrying the brunt of the load by yourself. And then it, it's oftentimes followed up by that demand, right? Okay, so help me. Come on, help me, people. Do you see how, how this all blows up in the heat of the moment Martha has not only provoked Jesus with an untruth, you don't care, but accused her sister of leaving her rightful place. Abandoned me. Like, you should be here. And then she's demanded that Jesus assert his authority over Mary. Mary is still. She's quiet. She's listening to Jesus. Martha is bustling, boisterous, demanding from Jesus. Mary places herself in a position of humility at Jesus' feet. Martha has placed herself in a position of authority over Jesus. Amazing, isn't it? You tell her to help me. Like, Jesus, I'll give you the marching orders, Jesus, and then you go out and carry out my orders, right? Oh, it'd be funny if it weren't true of us sometimes, wouldn't it? But nevertheless, Martha feels... She feels overwhelmed. She feels overworked, underappreciated. She feels alone. Maybe you felt that way. Maybe you feel you're being torn apart by forces outside your control, pulled in every direction. You feel uneasy. You have little peace. You explode in anger, and the shrapnel just hits all those that are closest to you. You see, Martha's anxiety doesn't only affect her. It affects her relationship with Mary and with Jesus. And this is the messy truth that we all seem to know too well. And whether you're on the sending or receiving end of this type of interaction, you've probably seen the mess that an anxious heart can make. I do want to be clear. Some people struggle with anxiety, maybe more dif- made more difficult, right? Um, by chemical imbalances, personality, upbringing, all those things. I want to, want to be aware of that. There are cases of anxiety which require a multi-pronged approach, right? Not just pray harder, read, read more scripture. I, I recognize that. I want to affirm that. But regardless of what causes or stimulates this anxiety in Martha, I want you to notice to how Jesus responds. Notice how Jesus responds. Jesus is gentle with her. Martha, Martha. 
He's understanding and compassionate. You are anxious and troubled. He knows. He knows the state of her heart. He sees. He understands. But his words are also corrective, aren't they? Hey, only one thing. There's only one thing needed. And then it's also instructive. Mary has chosen the good portion. This portion won't be taken away from her, right? He's teaching her as well. I wonder how many of us would respond to an outburst like this, like Jesus does. So maybe you've not felt like Martha recently. But how have you responded to those who have? Do you respond like Jesus? With gentleness, with understanding and compassion? What about correction? That might seem a little off limits today, uh, doesn't it? It's one thing to act with compassion towards someone struggling with anxiety, but to correct them or call them out, that gets, that's pretty gutsy today, isn't it? And yet it's exactly what is needed. You see, we do not worship and serve a non-confrontational Jesus. We serve a compassionate king who gently but firmly leads his people toward that which is good and right and true, toward himself. I want to affirm something positive here about Martha's response. I'm not sure that this is immediately evident to us, but consider the fact that Martha does not approach and reproach Mary directly. I think it's significant. I do. She goes to Jesus, not to, not to Mary. Now, the pessimist in me, right, would say, she's just going to the source of authority, she's going to manipulate, she's going to contrive her own, uh, her own ends. And that may be true, okay? Mary is, after all, her sister, so you can imagine this easily. Mom, Dad! Make my brother help me, right? You, we know this interaction. We've seen this. Maybe we've been guilty of this. But even if Martha comes to Jesus with the wrong intentions, she still comes to him, nonetheless. And in casting her anxieties outward to others, she has inadvertently cast her anxieties upon the one who cares for her, who truly cares for her. And this is the amazing truth, that Jesus actually welcomes us to do the same. The reality is that Martha was carrying a weight that was never hers to bear in the first place. She felt helpless, alone, pulled in every direction. But Jesus did not require this of her. Only two chapters later, Luke chapter 12... Will Jesus teach his disciples to not be anxious about what they will eat or drink or wear? For life consists of more than food. And the Father knows that his children have needs. But Christ's disciples are to seek the kingdom, and these things will be added to them. We see this even here in the text, don't we? Look at verse 42. The correction that Jesus gives is that Martha's concerned, burdened about many things, but only one thing is Needed or required or necessary. Only one thing. And what is that one thing? What's the one thing that you got to... Martha, whatever else you got going on, one thing. Just one. This is the most important. What is it? It's what Mary had chosen. It's to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to his teaching. And this is the last point. Why we need Jesus and his teaching. 
Jesus alone gives rest and strength. You see, Martha, like me, and possibly like you, struggled with attempting to bear more weight than she was ever intended to bear. It's not that she didn't have a job to do. It's not that she shouldn't have served or offered hospitality. But it seems that Martha has placed an excessive, an excessive pressure on herself. It was undue. It was unnecessary. Jesus says to her, only one thing is really needed. You're worried about all the things. There's only one thing that really ultimately matters. To sit at my feet, to listen to my teaching. In other words, Martha, you only need me. And that's the same call to us today. Even though we have a hard time hearing it don't we? We oftentimes, we object. We object. It's amazing. We, how many of you like get offered help and you're like, no, 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 it's okay. We, we object. But we're, we're called here today to Jesus. You only need me. Jesus, I know I need you, but there's still food to prepare. There's still laundry to clean, there's still dishes to wash, bills to pay, kids to shuttle, Sunday school to teach, music to play at church. The list goes on and on. I don't know how I could ever find time to... Martha. Martha. You're anxious and troubled about many things. Only one thing is necessary. You need me. You need me. Jesus is the one who invites us to sit at his feet and listen to his teaching. I wonder, what might that invitation sound like to us today? If not this, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. It's not hard to read those words from Matthew 11 and be struck by the similarities with our passage today, isn't it? Martha, who labors and is heavy laden, invited to rest and learn from Jesus, the one who is gentle and lowly in heart. And uh, just say, if you haven't read the book, Gentle and Lowly, that uh, came out, I think, just this last year. We've got several copies uh, across the street um, that you could have. Uh, if, you, if you wanted a copy, we could get you a copy for free. Highly recommend it. I haven't finished it yet, but it has been a balm to my soul to remember that the heart of Christ for sinners, for sufferers, he's gentle. He's lowly. He desires to offer Rest and strength. And that's what, isn't that what Mary had chosen? To sit at Jesus' feet and learn from him? You see, this is the good portion. This is the very best choice. Mary made the right choice. She chose what can never be taken away from her, Jesus himself. And it is a choice. We often act as if we don't have the choice. But we do. You have a choice. You can choose to sit with Jesus and listen to him, or you can choose to run yourself into the ground while carrying a weight you were never intended to carry in the first place. You need Jesus. Now, I said we need both Jesus and his teaching. 
I realize that some might object, well, don't we just need Jesus? Why must we also say we need his words? Isn't he enough? To which I would respond, of course, that Jesus and his words cannot be separated in this way. And neither does our text do so. Mary sat with Jesus, Mary listened to his words. It's not enough to be in the presence of, of Jesus, right? Um, we read elsewhere in the Gospels that many will come to Jesus at, in the end and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, do many great signs and wonders in your name? And he will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, workers of lawlessness. So not all who call him Lord will enter the kingdom, but the one who does the will of the Father. That's the ticket. Knowing Jesus, listening to his word, doing the will of the Father. You can't separate those. If you love Jesus, you will love to do that which he commands. You will love his word. That's the very evidence that you are a son or daughter of God, as 1 John teaches. You know that you've come to know God when you do what he commands. Obedience to God's commands is the fruit of faith. The one thing you need is Jesus, and you can't have him without his words. You see, there are many today who would like to embrace a version of Jesus whose teaching looks very little like the Jesus of the Bible. A Jesus of love, maybe, but not of justice. A Jesus who is a good man, but not a sovereign Lord. A Jesus who died on the cross as an example of sacrifice, but who was not raised to life and victory. A Jesus who does not judge sin, but welcomes all to come as they are and remain there indefinitely. This is simply not Jesus. You need the real Jesus of the Bible. You need the gentle and understanding and compassionate Jesus who also corrects and instructs you. See, choosing to sit and with and listen to Jesus is the very best choice you can make in 2022. Investing in your relationship with Christ has a guaranteed payoff. It will always bring you infinitely more value than you ever put in, than any effort you put in. No other investment comes close to the, the return on investment that Jesus gives. So come to him, sit with him, learn from him. There's rest for you. There's peace. Cast all your anxieties on him. He cares for you. You're worried and troubled and anxious about a million things. You need to eat? He knows. You need to pay the bills? He knows. You got that health issue? He knows. Concerned about your children and the choices they're making. He knows. And he cares. Your job is demanding. He knows. He cares. About it all. He sees you. He understands the weight that you're carrying. And he says to you, come to me. I will give you rest and I will give you strength. When you choose to make Jesus your portion as Mary did, you can say with the psalmist, my flesh and my heart may fail. But what? God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You can remember in times of sorrow, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end, but are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness, so that your soul can say, 
The Lord is my portion, therefore I will hope in him. This portion, this very best choice to be with Jesus, to listen to his words, this will never be taken away from you. Not only does it pay off, but it never runs dry. It's never depleted. The more you choose Jesus, the more Jesus you get. You don't diminish him. You won't exhaust him. You see, we desperately need this, don't we? When we choose to cast our anxieties on anyone else, we run the risk of overburdening them too. Mary made the right choice, but what if, what if Mary had left Jesus' side to help her sister Martha? What if she had shouldered the burden with Martha that Martha had created for herself? It's likely that both sisters would have actually missed out on what Jesus had to offer them. See, Martha needed the load to be taken off, but not by Mary, by Jesus. And notice how he does this. Not by saying, you know, you're right, Martha, I'll send Mary to help, nor does he offer to help himself. I mean, Jesus is the servant himself, right? He, he's not afraid to take a towel, wash feet, and do what, you know, he, he could serve, right? But he doesn't do that here. Rather, he says, in effect, you are overburdened, you're worried about the wrong things. Don't share your load. Take a different load. Take my yoke upon you. It's lighter than the one you're carrying. This is how Jesus unburdens us, oftentimes. He shoulders our anxieties, and then he transfers our deepest concerns to more meaningful and substantive, fruitful, eternal things. Seek the kingdom of God. Don't worry about food or drink or clothes. Concern yourself with him, with learning his ways. Now, hospitality is still good. Bills still need to be paid. Food needs to be prepared. But don't lose your focus on Jesus in the midst of the hustle and bustle of life. Now, that's easy to say, right? I get it. It's easy to, for me to stand up here and talk about it. I have to do the same thing I'm asking you to do. I have to do as well. And I, I understand how difficult it can be. This is hard work sometimes, isn't it? Say, well, just don't, don't lose your focus on Jesus and, you know, keep doing it. But there's stuff, right? Like, there's still the stuff. So what do you do with this? Practically, what do you do with this? Where do you go from here? Let me suggest a few practical applications for this passage, this, this message. Number one, when you begin to feel overburdened, underappreciated, or alone in doing good things, ask yourself this. Is this eternally significant? Maybe that's unclear. I get it. And even that's kind of hard sometimes. Follow-up question. When I stand before Jesus, will this truly matter? When I stand before Jesus, will this matter? If the answer is no, it may be worth cutting back on that good but unnecessary thing, right? But if you answer yes, and I, 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 let me say there's some things that are yes, right? Caring for your children, um, doing, doing what God wants you to do in terms of paying off your debt and providing for your family and all those things. There's a lot of good things that, that are eternally significant that I'm convinced that we need to be doing, right? And, we, and ought to have eternal impact. So there are yeses to this question. But if the answer is yes, stop. Reorient your heart with scripture with the word pray 
for God to strengthen you by his grace to do what he has called you to do. That's the first application. If you're feeling that today, if you're feeling this pressure to stop and ask yourself, is this eternally significant? Does it matter in the end? Does it matter ultimately, finally, before Christ? If it does, and there are things that do, stop. Reorient your heart. Focus yourself on Jesus. Remember his words. Cast your anxieties on him. Ask him for the strength to discharge whatever responsibilities you have. But secondly, I think there's another way that we respond to this. When someone near you begins to speak or act out of anxiety, you ought to approach them with understanding and compassion and then point them to Jesus and to the same diagnostic question. Go back to that. Okay, is this eternally significant? Does this matter ultimately, finally, before Christ? And then you go through the same process, right? And if the answer is no, then you might want to cut back on some of these things. But if it's yes, stop, reorient your heart, scripture, pray, Ask God to give you the strength, the grace to do what you're called to do. And guess what? If someone near you is burdened with something eternally significant, if they're doing something that really ultimately matters and they are just weighted down, you have the ability to offer help, then you can just follow up with, how can I help? Right? Because we are called to shoulder some of our burdens. Imagine what it would look like if we all cast our anxieties on Jesus and started bearing one another's burdens in that way, what kind of peace and joy we might experience? It'd be amazing. Cast your anxieties on Jesus and then let's shoulder this load together. Imagine that. Now, the world tells you to find relief from your burdens in therapy, Satan tempts you to escape. Your burdens through entertainment, through food, through drink. Your flesh desires to cast all your anxieties on those closest to you. These are some of many choices for dealing with, coping with the pressures of modern life. I get it. But Jesus offers a better way. He offers himself. He has broad enough shoulders to carry your burden. And he invites you to come to him, to learn from him. That's the very best choice you can make this year. In the hustle and bustle of your life, in all the craziness, the chaos, the best choice you can make in 2022. I'm confident enough to tell you what the best choice for your life is. Let me tell you what the best, you know, don't, don't often, if someone has this level of certainty outside of, you know, hopefully sharing the word of God, or you know, I would be a little bit concerned, but this is not my word, this is God's word. I'm confident in this. The best choice, the good portion for you is to choose to sit with and listen to Jesus. That's the very best choice you can make. It's not, I mean, not making a resolution, not losing weight, not getting your finances together or anything else. It's choosing Jesus. He's the best portion. He's the one you need above all else. And he invites you to come to him. He has rest. He has peace. That you need. Now, this morning, as it's the first Sunday of the month, we will take communion together. And it seems appropriate that we do so, remembering that Christ offers us more 
of himself than we could ever offer him. All the good works we do in this life cannot atone for our sins, can't repay the debt that we've incurred. We've fallen woefully short of God's standards, haven't we? And yet in his grace, he has given us Christ as a substitute. He has paid the penalty for our sins by his death on the cross. He's accounted to us his righteousness by faith. And he promises the hope of life eternal, guaranteed by his own resurrected life. So we invite this morning all who have trusted this good news of God's redeeming grace in Christ to celebrate your union with him through partaking of the bread and juice which symbolize his body and blood. Um, in this moment, I want you to imagine this. Christ is, in effect, serving you. In those words, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood. Blood of the new covenant. So as we open our... I invite you to open the bread... I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, you have given us in the broken body of Jesus more than we can ever ask or deserve. You've given us not only freedom from the power, penalty of sin, but you've given us real spiritual nourishment. You have served us as we eat this bread. We're reminded that Jesus is the bread of life. May we not forsake this bread for any other bread, but receive it in thanksgiving for all that Christ is for us. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. What can wash away my sin? Nothing the blood of Jesus what can make me whole again nothing but the blood of Jesus this is all my hope and peace this is all my righteousness nothing but the blood of Jesus father we 
confess that we think too little of what we have just partaken in. Our thoughts are too small. We eat the bread, we take the, the juice, and oftentimes we do not consider him who was bruised for our iniquities, by whose stripes we are healed, upon whom was the chastisement that brought us peace. But this is why we do it, to remember in remembrance of you, of Christ. So Father, we, we do, we remember, we turn our eyes, our hearts to Jesus in this moment. Whatever sins we've committed the past year, this year to come, trusting in your Son, washed clean, pure, Why does the snow on the ground? Nothing but the blood of Jesus can do this. So we're thankful, Lord. And we're grateful that you've given us Christ as our portion. May we not forsake him. May we not forget him. May we turn to him and cast all of our anxieties, all of our cares, all the pressures to him who gives life and peace and wholeness and abundance. We ask in his name, amen.